This is Champagne Problems, where we come together to explore the gray areas of drinking. This is a judgment-free zone where we can all take a look at how we make decisions about our relationship with alcohol. Welcome back, everybody. We're in the studio today recording the second episode of an ongoing series we're calling our Listener Spotlight. This is where we invite listeners whom we are calling friends of the podcast onto the show to discuss their personal experiences after having listened to the variety of topics we explore here at Champagne Problems. That said, our second loyal listener and friend of the podcast goes by the name of Rob Lathan. Rob Lathan grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, attended the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, After college, Rob moved to New York City, where he worked in advertising and sales by day and performed improv, sketch, and stand-up comedy by night. During his burgeoning comedy career, he was able to make appearances on Late Night with Conan O'Brien, The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, and Inside Amy Schumer. Currently lives in Atlanta and works in customer success for a tech company. Married with two kids, ages 8 and 11. Let's talk to Rob. Right. Welcome to Champagne Problems, Rob. Glad you're here, man. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So we, we got to get some <laughs> housekeeping out of the way real quick before we, before we get rolling. Do you have any footage of Robbie Shaw's stand-up <laughs> comedy career? That's a great question. Yeah, there's got to be, be footage right? somewhere. that. Well, I remember we performed together at a show I hosted at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. Robbie and I came out, we, like, I think it was a running bit, like three different times throughout the show. And, and Rob Riggle, I remember, performed in that show. So some big names. Um, yeah. I, there's gotta be somebody who taped it. So I'll, I'll have to ask around, but it was, it was always a blast. Please find it. I feel like there was- We've gotta see it. We did that one uh, and it was, it, it wasn't at Upright. It was somewhere downtown, but where I was doing your, like, uh, I was imitating you. Oh, I was yeah, supposed to be yeah. you. Like, you came out and told the audience that you had to leave and that your friend was going to come out and be you for the night. And then I had, like, a stomach <laughs> attack or something. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was at a theater in the um, East Village. Yeah, so that, that would be yeah. amazing if we could get that footage. Yeah, anything you have, audio, video... <laughs> I don't Still know. footage. I don't care. I don't know. I'll I'll I don't know it if up. it's out there, man. Somebody probably recorded <laughs> that, but uh, who knows? All right. Well, let's dig in, Rob. And just so our audience knows, I, I've known Rob since college. You know, we uh, we we went through college together, and obviously did some uh, running around together in New York City. Um, and then Rob moved to Atlanta. I moved around, and here we are. We've always kept in touch. So let's start with. A little bit of your history. Yeah, absolutely. So with me, you know, I'm definitely sort of an unorthodox story or not your typical Hollywood ending. Um, But primarily, (laughs) most of all, you know, my my incidents with alcohol were in college. There were some in in high school, of course. And, you know, I can dive into all the the stories, but all, all of my really... And I'll call them near-death experiences happened in college. And it was, it was pretty, yeah. All of them. <laughs> There's a plural there. Today, you know, admittedly, I, I do drink, you know, not excessively. Um, definitely a changed man from when I was in college. And, 
you know, after hearing so much, some of the stories, you might be like, why do you drink now? Like, are you sure that's a good idea? Uh, but I, but honestly, I do think that um, I learned a ton and, and changed along the ways and look at it totally differently than I did previously. And, you know, it, it's not like I have all the answers or it's not like, um, you know, some of these incidents could come up again. I mean, it, it probably not, but you know, you still, you still gotta have the, the, yeah. same, the outlook of, um, you know, one day at a time as, you know, I, I did go through AA as well, which I'll talk through and, and I and really enjoyed my time in, in the AA. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed that period and sort of gradually went back to, to drinking. Let's do some of this, couple of the stories. I mean, I, I don't want to call them stories because that sounds more <laughs> entertaining. I, I understand that these, let's call them experiences because some of them are oh, a yeah. little rough. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, the, the first one was freshman year in college at the University of North Carolina and pledge, you know, of a fraternity. Uh, we It was our final, like, hazing of incident. And, th and this was in the 90s when there were no rules. There were no guardrails. Um, the fraternities could really do whatever they wanted. <laughs> and uh, and th there was... <laughs> Handcuff you and throw you down the stairs. Yeah. The incident occurred in the <laughs> basement of the fraternity house in the boiler room. We had our hoodwinks on so we couldn't see. And the brothers <laughs> passed around bottles of at what was called Cisco, which is illegal now, but it was 40 proof, um, 40 ounce bottles. And there are several of them and we were just chugging them. And one of the reasons, you know, I definitely drank way too much and probably, and de definitely drank more than everybody else. Um, and it was kind of like my mentality of, yeah, I'll be, you know, the hero. I'll be, this is something that I, you know, I'll, also, you're kind of scared too, and you want you don't want to be sober throughout these hazing events. <laughs> right. But I chugged, you know, right. as much of that as possible. Several bottles. Um, we had some chug races, and everybody else was throwing up along the way. I was not throwing up. Long story short, every other pledge passed out, and there's throw up all over the basement. It, you know, of course, I was at that point blackout drunk. I don't remember any of it, but was told a lot of the story later. Um, eventually, I hit, fell down, hit my head. They tried to wake me up. They couldn't. They ran me under the showers. I was turning blue and did not wake up. They carried me to the, um, took off my clothes, except for my boxer shorts, drove me to the emergency room, which thankfully, at least brothers were coherent enough to, to do that, yeah. to take me to the hospital. Like that saved my life. They shut the door. They carried me out of the, the car to carry me into the uh, hospital. My, the door hit my boxers and ripped my boxers off. So I was carried completely nude oh, into the hospital. Uh, but thankfully again, that I was taken to the hospital and, and they saved my life. Like the, I was taken to the emergency room. They pumped my stomach you know, filled me up with um, liquid, with water. And the next thing I remember was waking up. And apparently the, the first words I said 
um, was told to me, I said, where is the world? What, honestly, <laughs> that's what cup. Wow. Uh, and along the way, oh, I, I did register a very high blood alcohol level, which I was told was the highest ever in the state of North Carolina at the time. That's terrifying, Rob. Jeez, I know. Rob. I know. I know. And, and, and I know we are all kind of laughing, but clearly we are very sensitive to this stuff and we don't mean to, you know, make, make light of this event. In fact, I, we have some listeners who have lost loved ones and children's to events like this that have reached yeah. out to us. We definitely want to be sensitive around totally. this. Um, and that, boy, is that a fucked up story, and, man. And, like, I remember those days. Admittedly at the time, like it was, it was a wake up call for me, but it, it wasn't enough of a wake up call. Um, now I look back and I'm extremely grateful, lucky, you know, understand how close I was to dying and appreciative of the people who saved my life. You know, the hot, the doctors and nurses, um, workers and, and the people who took me to the hospital. So after that happened, was there was there any cha immediate change to your relationship with alcohol or the kind of culture in the in the frat house or anything like that? Or it was just like, oh, yeah, collateral, you, collateral yeah. damage, like let's sweep it under the rug. No, go out that question. So yeah. as part of it, there, there was an immediate change, but it was short term for the house. Like they, at the, they were scared. They were scared to death and they, uh, yeah, we got but... initiated like the next day <laughs> and then for, my, <laughs> no yeah, more hazing exactly. after that. for myself, in order to be released from the hospital, I was required to do outpatient rehab. And I did that. And I, and I was, I didn't drink for, I didn't drink for a month at that time. And um, so I would go to, to the, the rehab facility and I remember the, um, yeah, the, the doctor like pointed to a gravestone and was like, this is, it was 0 0.40 was the, the gravestone. He's like, you're off the charts. And, you know, they emphasize the, the seriousness of it, but it, it's still, you know, it, it didn't sink in a hundred percent at that time. Um, so I, I, I still was. In, very immature, admittedly, and needed a lot of growing. <laughs> um, but but it, it was a little bit of a wake-up call. And you were around 18, 18 or 19? Yeah, exactly. Whew, yeah. It's almost like at that age, it's scary, but it's not enough to be a lesson. Like, you don't really have the self-preservation kind of stuff going on yet. Like, you don't yeah. really even have all of your brain there to think through like what that could have meant you're just kind of like damn that was shitty like and you kind of move move along do what you need to do take the consequences and kind of keep rolling totally so after that kind of what what happened moving forward after outpatient so yeah out, after outpatient then I slowly went back to, to drinking and still like and then was drinking excessively like and it very you know got it took a while to get you know, another, another incident to occur. But after about a month, I jumped right back in, um, you know, pretty aggressively, I guess. And my, so that then it took about maybe a year or two um, to have more, you know, scary moments. One involved a car crash, or actually two, two involved a car crash. One, I was driving by myself, which is very scary. And then another, I was the passenger. And this, this was the, the moment that probably changed my life was I was in the passenger seat 
Another person was driving. Um, the car hit a wall. I went through the windshield, and my, I, my whole face was covered in blood. Um, taken to the emergency room again, and, and that, that was the, the, finding, the, the finding moment and, and final straw where I had an, you know, basically an intervention at home with my family and with the counselor, and they were like, you're going to rehab. Um, yeah. You're, you're taking the semester off. You know, don't try to argue. And I remember talking to friends after the intervention at home, and I was like, they're making me go to rehab. Isn't that total BS? <laughs> and one, one friend was like, maybe that'll be good for you, which was total surprise yeah. to me. And the one real friend. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? You're, yeah, you're you on don't know side. what you're talking about. So that, that, was, that was a big, big moment for me. And I'm, uh, you know, grateful that I had that wake-up call. It took a few chances, but finally, you know, got the wake-up call then. What was that like for you, going in kind of resistant? and? It was, it was rough. That, I remember distinctly, like, um, my, I have two sisters, and both my parents and a counselor were, were in the room. And I was surprised. I didn't, I didn't know they were going to say this. I didn't know... They were they, basically. They said you have to take the semester off of college, which I really did. I really fought against, and you're going to rehab. I thought, oh, why don't I just go to rehab for like a week and then go back to college? Mm -hmm. like, Let me do outpatient again. Yeah, exactly. They're like, no. Nah. Um, so I mean, I I remember like you know being in tears and being like, oh, I'm not going. I'm not going. And finally, you know, I realized I had to. <laughs> <laughs> Where'd you end up going and how, how long were you there? I went to Sierra Tucson in Arizona and honestly, I loved it. Like looking back, I was extreme, extremely lucky again that I was pretty young and I was, I had a very open mind and, um, it was, it was like in January, it was sunny every day, like 80 degrees <laughs> every day. <laughs> and, and I, I love, you know, the people, the, the message, the program, um, I ate it up. And it was, twenty, I think, 28 days, I guess, in, at Sierra Tucson. During your time there, I mean, did you take a good look at your relationship with alcohol, or were you just kind of counting the days and like, oh, I'm just going to do my time and then go back to school and go back to my normal drinking habits? Yeah, it's a great question. It Honestly, it, it sort of fluctuated so at the beginning I was like yeah I'll just you know I'll just see what it's like um I'll you know do my thing and get through this but as I as the days progressed I got more and more into it and I, I remember at distinctly thinking all right I'm, I'll be sober for the rest of my life like I, I, I enjoy this um so I you know I got into it I would say afterwards, did you do any type of like aftercare or did you kind of keep, keep it up, go to 12 step, anything like that, like Alcoholics Anonymous or otherwise? Yeah. Good question. A lot of people did go to the, like a halfway house. Yeah. Um, I did not, they didn't think I really needed it. I, I lived at home with, with my parents in Atlanta. I stayed in Atlanta for six, for that whole semester until you know, and through the summer. So it was like January until the next August. And I was sober. I was sober the whole time. I went, I did go to AA every day and I loved it. Like at the time, as mentioned, I was 
by myself in Atlanta with my living with my parents. So there's not anything going on. <laughs> like there, there was zero distractions, which is good. So I went to AA every single day and enjoyed it. Um, that was what I looked forward to that day, really. Um, you know, the community aspect and I, the message, e even, you know, people who aren't actively in the program, like it, it's, a, it's a great message um, for anybody, you know? Yeah, it, it definitely help, can help all walks of life. You know, you don't have to have a problem with alcohol for A to help. It is a exactly. phenomenal guide for living. Well, let's dig into comedy a little bit um, because, you know, we've, um, in a previous episode, we had Edwin McCain on and, and we really honed in on kind of the creative process and how alcohol often plays a role in that. And how is that for you? You know, going up to New York City, I mean, you know, party central, uh, a culture that's probably wrapped up in a lot of partying. What was that like? Yeah, great question. Yeah, so for me, moving to New York City was another thing that sort of saved me. It because it would like and, and mainly comedy. Um, it took about six months to a year to, to figure out like the comedy scene and it was intimidating. Um, so at first I tried stand up and that was really intimidating. And then then I found discovered improv through the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. And that was more of a community. It was, um, you know, you're on a team of eight people and the, the theaters packed and everybody's cheering each other on. So I, I gravitated toward that um, primarily. They had a show on Comedy Central for a while, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And that, that's exactly when I was there in New York, and I was an extra in some of the, the shows. For me, like, the, the drinking and the creative process didn't really intertwine. We would practice a couple times a week as an improv team, and we no, you can't drink then, and it would be weird if you, you know, were drinking before that. But before shows, like admittedly, I'd, I'd have a few drinks, but never, um, it wasn't anything that like got out of hand like in college. Um, so it was, it, it was truthfully, that was what, you know, got me out of my funk that I experienced in college was having that pursuit, having, you know, a goal, you know, that I wanna be sober for and aware and have energy for you know so it's almost like you're you you entered in this you know profession or, or career and and your I mean it was your passion and so you totally. you made the switch or, or tell me if I'm right or wrong you made the switch that this is you know alcohol is gonna deter me from being successful at this and so that's kind of how you navigated through it it sounds like yeah exactly and and to be clear like I wasn't a hundred percent sober throughout if i drank during a show like or after a show is like a few drinks um and it, it was something that where i didn't want to be hung over the next day like a lot of my a lot of the creative process for me is is during the day like if i'm writing a sketch or a performance or you know stand up bit it's usually during the day after i've had my coffee you know and I, I can't be hungover then. And I definitely can't be drinking then. <laughs> what, about, what about that culture, like, in the, in the comedy world? I mean, I'm always kind of curious when it comes to any kind of entertainment 
What what is the culture like around like alcohol use and drug? I mean, because you know you see in the media and like in movies and shit, they're always, you know, they're always doing something. But is it is it pretty low key when it's like time to work? It's time to work, and you better have your shit together and not be messed up. Like, is that accurate? It's interesting. So you know, now I had the mindset that. You know, hearing the stories from Silent Live in the, the 1970s with John Belushi, you know, and then Chris Farley, and it, it has the reputation of everybody's doing cocaine, hard drugs, and excessively drinking. The and and there, you know, I'm sure there are examples of that still to this day, and and back when I was in New York. But for the most part, it at least the improv scene was. Primarily, we're all sort of nerdy, you know, <laughs> and, you know, a, a lot a lot of the improvisers did not excessively drink, yeah. um, but it, it was like it definitely was part of the scene where, you know, people are um, having a beer before a show or after a show for sure. And there were parties at the theater where, you know, some people drank more than they should, but it wasn't the, the crazy 1970s yeah. speedball, you know, going to the hospital or like me in <laughs> yeah, college, <right. laughs> people weren't doing anything that I did in college, um, to get out of hand. So it was, it was part of the culture for sure, but it wasn't, um, to the extent of like the insanity of, you know, the 1970s. Yeah. I'm curious about the progression, Rob, from kind of being, you know, NAA daily um, sober and then kind of just what it looked like to reintroduce alcohol into your life and even maybe how that's progressed to present day. Yeah, I know. It's it's a great question. And so in Atlanta, I, I went to AA every single day. Basically, probably when I you know, slowly got back to college, I would, I went back to drinking and a lot of people would think that's insane. Um, and it probably admitted in my mind, it was, I probably planned that, you know, ahead of time. It wasn't like it, it was marked in the calendar or anything or like explicitly premeditated, but, and it wasn't like I hit in the, you know, and, downed a fifth of bourbon or anything it was it was a gradual process um and i did i did stop going to aa once i was back in college so i went from like my junior year being completely sober to it was senior year in college when i gradually went back to drinking um and again you know people might judge and think that's a bad idea <laughs> And it could have been, you know, a bad idea, but I, I didn't run into any crazy incidents since then. What one thing worth mentioning, and it's probably true about myself, is I remember in um, rehab, the the counselor of my group was like, "Rob, you are a chameleon," meaning like you'll you change your who you are to a degree, like depending on what um, circumstance or environment you're in. And, and that's true. I mean, it, I must admit, like, when I was in a rehab and AA, I, I immersed myself in that. And then 
in college, I immersed myself in, in that environment. And then in New York, I immersed myself in that. And that, today I'm in Atlanta um, with a family. I've married with two kids and, and that's my life. Like that's who I am. And, but I, I do need to keep that in mind in the sense that I don't, I better watch out sure. what environment I get into. It could flare up, you know, again, like I don't, I don't think it will. Um, but it's not like I'm bulletproof. So that's something I should. Yeah. Keep well, I think it's interesting to hear. I mean, if, you know, for me, and I won't speak for Patrick and Robbie, but for me, there's no judgment around. It. I think it's just sheer curiosity of like how, you know, how you reapproach that. Cause like mm-hmm. you said, I think there's some degree of like, I kind of knew that I was going to go back to drinking. It wasn't this formal decision. It wasn't this like declaration of like today is the day. Right. But like, but you know, kind of generally when I go back into that phase or, or when I enter this next phase of life, that's just going, going to kind of become what's normal again. And, you know, to this day, it sounds like you have some cautious optimism about staying kind of on the path that you have with alcohol for a long time. From my like clinical perspective, it's more about like the symptoms that are showing up. And if you're not having active, like severe substance use disorder symptoms, and you're able to kind of have healthy guidelines around the amount that you drink and it's functional in your life and it's not causing the issues that it was at one point or even near those issues, you know, it's, it, it's really about like revisiting that, checking in with yourself, like figuring out what really works for you. And I think that's really a lot of what our podcast is about is wanting to have a place to talk about all of the different ways to have a relationship with alcohol that being everything from no relationship whatsoever to having a really complex one and having to figure that out. And so I actually really appreciate your story that there is more of that gray area. There is more, you know, I wasn't drinking and I was sober and then I went back to it and I've had to kind of adjust throughout the years and figure out what works for me. Can you talk a little bit just about what are some of the parameters you have around drinking? How do you make decisions about how much you drink? Like, what does all that look like? So today, uh, don't drink during the week. So basically, and, and again, it's not going to work for everybody, but this is what works for me. Um, you, I, I'm odd in the sense that I feel like I, I don't drink during the day at all, like, you know, no matter what. And then usually I, I wait till like Thursday night and have some wine and same with Friday and Saturday. And I'm sure, you know, other people will be like, that's not a good idea, but it, but it does work for me. Um, and again, like it's, it's a sense where I, I don't have like a specific, like, you know, rule book or hard parameters, but I generally, that's my pattern. That's, that's sort of my pattern that I've, I live out and, um, just follow. Another aspect mm-hmm. is having a family and, and raising kids. Um, I know I have, to, I have to wake up early in the morning to take my kids to school to, you know, fix some breakfast. I can't be hungover at that point, no way. Um, and same with, you know, just being a good role model for them. Like, they know I'm not perfect. I know I'm not perfect. Um, but at the same time, like, I can't, I don't want to do, be the person I was in college. You know, there's no way. So those are sort of like, um, aspects that 
help define my daily, you know, routine. Um, and it so far it's, it's worked for me. Did that pattern develop through kind of phase of life and kind of the chameleon type of trait or did that develop through fumbles? Like for me, what works for me today developed through fumbling and being like, Oh, can't take shots. Oh, can't like it came through learning of what does not work. And I'm just curious if that was the case for you at all. A little bit, a little bit of the fumbles. It like definitely shots. Like I, I, hate shots and I, yeah, <laughs> that was part of college Big but time. rob it's disrespectful to say no to a shot <laughs> sam, sam only drinks zima <laughs> <laughs> on but Sunday yeah morning. i i just yeah no i i cannot do that i guess another semi-fumble is like usually that when i to, to be honest like when i drink the most is at like a, a wedding or a big event now i know like you can't you don't want to go out like that. You know, you don't, <laughs> usually it's like, I got to stick to wine, beer, the, the lighter stuff. Yeah. Hey, Rob, no judgment, man. No judgment coming here. You keep saying, well, people might not think this is the right thing, but like Sam said, you know, th th this is not black and white, man. And that is the point yeah. of this podcast right. is to expose that, is to educate on that. And, and just because, you, about it. you know, you had a few run-ins, I mean, yeah, those are red flags, but that doesn't, you know, it, it, there's often this school of thought where it's like you either have it or you don't, and if you do, you don't, you shouldn't do it. Well, we know that that's not the truth among the entire population. So we, we thank you for talking about your whole situation, and, and and there's no judgment whatsoever. What works works. Do you feel like as and and you can take the pandemic into consideration here? Do you struggle at all with keeping your drinking in those parameters? And if you do, like, what are some of the things that that you like utilize to kind of keep those boundaries in place. Yeah. The, and definitely the pandemic plays into that. Like there's like, I was thinking about, you know, the current environment versus, you know, previous environment. Like it, it's definitely not as, as bad as in college, of course, but probably the, you know, there's definitely more, it seems like around the, the neighborhood, there's more like more drinking, <laughs> during the pandemic, um, like day drinking, yeah. things like that. And that, that's something that I, I try to avoid, you know, I, I don't, I don't enjoy it, you know? And, and, um, so yeah, I definitely try to, to keep like that in mind. And, and, um, as, as far as struggling with it, like it, it, I don't really, sh you know, it's not a big struggle with me, I would say. Um, but something I should keep in mind for sure. Yeah. I love that. There's still like that caution of like, look, I know that there is like, I've heard you acknowledge a couple of times. Like I'm not completely immune to this thing. Like there is the potential risk wise for it to go back to that point. And so just kind of really being honest with yourself about like, I've just got to be careful and I've got to make choices. Maybe that look a little different than the people around me. And I, you know, that was a lot of what I had to figure out in my own journey was like, I'm instead of being the chameleon, instead of doing what the people around me do, which seems to work really well for them. I kept trying to force that and be like, I should be able to do what they're doing. The reality is it just doesn't work for me. And so figuring out those boundaries of like, how much does that mean? Like, if I don't want to be hung over in the morning, like, 
for me, that might be one drink versus like for everyone else that might be three or four and just really having to like tailor. That's why I was joking kind of about the fumbles of like, I only really learned what those were through regret. Yeah. And like really kind of going through like that didn't work for me. Okay. Like next thing. And I'm sure, you know, through the phases of life that you've been dealing with this, that there's been some of those experiences that's like, Oh, okay. That's not it. That's not the answer, you know, or that's not, that didn't really work in that scenario as well as I, thought I would or thought it would and I'm just curious if you kind of reflect on that still in, in present day or if you if that's something that as long as you stick to your pattern you're kind of good yeah I mean uh, something I, I do reflect on and I think um, you know it's a good idea to to you know understand how lucky I am how grateful I am um that I, you know, I can't get out of control and, um, you know, that, but, but yeah. And, and mainly I do stick to the pattern on a daily basis. I think there's a lot of people out there that are, that have gone through similar circumstances as you Rob, when it comes to your relationship with alcohol and really struggling with it younger in their life and having some type of event happen that has them either, stop fully or dial it back and then there's like a reintroduction i think where a lot of people make a mistake though is you know if things are going well you kind of get your life together you find a career you build a family you put these kind of boundaries in place or you just find that you're not drinking that much and nothing bad happens and then like if you don't if you're not really intentional and you don't have those boundaries and you don't know the risks involved or if you like ramp it up where I've seen a lot of people falter is, you know, when there's some type of catastrophic event in their life, like somebody close to them dies, they have like a massive career change or uh, some type of catastrophe happens in their life and then they're vulnerable and then here comes the booze and we're back to where we were in high school. You have a healthy relationship with alcohol now. You're setting the boundaries. You got parameters around it. You know, in regards to our podcast, I know that you've listened to some of our episodes. Like, did you pick anything up that you've kind of added to your repertoire in regards to your relationship with alcohol? And has it been impactful at all? Big fan of the podcast. Yeah, a lot of the, the episodes <laughs> that, that helped me, all of them, but I'll include the one with, with Gabby Reese was great. I mean, it's, it's uh, just her lifestyle. I strive to mimic that. Like, there's no way I'll be as healthy and a fitness on, you know, expert like her, but definitely something to strive for. I loved Robbie's uh, story, of course. I mean, it, I knew some of the, the examples, but not all of them. It's great, Robbie, that you put yourself out there and very healthy outlook on life. Something I, you know, strive for as well. Uh, and you're, you know, you're, all of you are, you know, the podcast itself is very honest and that's key. You know, it's, you're honest, you're not judgmental, as you said, it's entertaining and I appreciate that. Um, and then the one about educating children, mm. that is, that's on my mind constantly, yeah. you know, with, you know, speaking about all these crazy incidents in college, what scares me every day and night is, yeah. you know, if my, if my kids were like that, I'm, I'd have a heart attack. You know? <laughs> no, um, I agree. 
that there's no you know easy answer there i think along mentioning honesty again i think honesty is key um with your kids but it's still not easy it's still not black and white and, and that's something that i'm really gonna have to work on how old are your kids rob they're eight and 11, so they're, they're not even, you know, they don't even know, know yeah. or they know what it is, but they're, they're not even close to getting to the age of experimenting, but it'll, it'll come quickly. It'll, mm-hmm. it'll sneak up yeah. on me. Well, I think it's, it's cool that you mentioned earlier, too, like that aspect of, yeah, I don't want to be hungover in the morning, but I also want to be a really good role model, and that's, you know, a lot of the learning happens non-verbally. It's like they're just watching. Like they just... So I think it's really cool that you're already aware of that and maybe deathly afraid that something's going to happen, but also really aware of, you know, I've got to kind of know what I'm showing and how I plan to talk to them about it in the future. It's very important. And I I think the, like, again, you want to be honest with them. And, um, and also, as you mentioned, um, they're watching my mannerisms. So I, you know, I, I, need to be a good role model and um the other the other aspect is you it's probably not a good idea to come down hard on them you know to like what what didn't work for me was you know any parent that was overbearing and watching my every move so it's kind of a fine line between yeah it's a tough dance to dance yeah all right rob well, we can't thank you enough for coming on here, man. We appreciate your transparency, your your willingness, and, and your courage to share some of this stuff. I mean, I know there are people out there that would, wouldn't share those stories. You know, they take them to their grave. So we, we were truly appreciative that you are willing to come on and share all that because it's absolutely helpful to everyone that's listening. So thank you for that. We do like to ask one last question. Sure. It's pretty general, but it's really about kind of what you see as the value of the times in your week, your days where you're not drinking. Could you give us three benefits of what it's like when you're not consuming alcohol? Number one, I'm alive. (laughs) It's a great number one. (laughs) I'm living. Um, Number two, as mentioned, I'm a, you know, try to be a good role model to my kids. Um, as as best I can. So, you know, it really is about them and, and their future. And I, I can't, you know, get in the way of that and jeopardize that. So that's very important. And then number three, you're not hung over. So um, I, I can, I have energy. I, I'm, I'm well rested. Yeah. I'm not just sitting on the couch eating something bad and watching TV. Like I'm active, I'm doing something. That's really, really important for me. It's like, I I don't want to waste my day. You know, I want to get stuff accomplished throughout the day. So that's, that's a big one. Nice. Hell yeah. I do have a final question. Do you have any requests, any requests from us of things that you would like to hear more of on the podcast that feel like we haven't touched on any tools that you feel like you, you know, still need in your toolbox, whether it be around parenting or anything else? Yeah, I would say, yeah, more on the, the, the parenting stuff would be helpful. Like what, you know, and again, it's, there's no hard, fast rule, but what age is appropriate to have a talk with your child or, you know, what's a general ball, ballpark age? 
what are, you know, what's the conversation, but like also, you know, and there's, again, it's a gray area, but when is it okay for your kids to drink? Yeah. Um, Like what, what should the rules be? Should it be okay? Yeah. You can have a drink, but you know, take an Uber home. And and there's, again, there's no easy answer, but um, any topic there would be great. And yeah, like just ongoing about like people who, who do drink, um, you know, when are, what are some red flags and what works for day to day for, for those people. And I do enjoy the the listener series. So keep that up as well. You got it. That's awesome, Rob. Thank you. We'll we'll definitely keep that in mind. I think, you know, one of the things I appreciate is that you have shared from your perspective and been really clear, like this may not work for everyone, but this is just kind of my story. And, And that's really what we're looking to share is just more of that more real people, more what are we doing like rather than what does the book say we should do you know that's completely outdated so I really appreciate that and we'll keep that in mind for future episodes it's been a pleasure having you on no thank my pleasure thank you so much for having me hey thanks Babs thanks Rob The information and opinions shared on this podcast are solely those of the hosts and guests and are not a substitute for medical advice. If you feel like you may need professional help, here are some resources. For the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration hotline, call 1-800-662-4357 or visit smsa.gov. For listeners in the Charlotte, North Carolina community, visit dilworthcenter.org or call 704-372-6969 or visit theblanchardinstitute.com or call 704-288-1097.